Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. So anger, it's one of those topics that can be tough to really face or look at because it's pretty easy to excuse or shift the blame. How many of you would say, I will deal with my anger problems when other people will deal with their stupidity problems? (laughs) I mean, I get angry because of what other people cause me to do. I wouldn't have blown up at them if they wouldn't have been such a jerk. I wouldn't have reacted that way if the situation didn't call for it. And the anger that I'm dealing with is not so much my problem, it's the situations that provoked that anger. But let me ask you, what has anger done for you lately? How has anger helped you? What kind of person have you become because you gave in to anger? Are you kind of like David Banner turning into a Hulk? And kind of that person you don't want to be? That rage comes up within you? What has it done for your peace of mind? What has it done for your stress rates? What has it done for your relationships? What has anger done for your tightness and your closeness with God. Well, I think the message of the Bible this morning when it comes to anger is that anger is a normal, it is a healthy emotion, but if it is not refocused, it can be very dangerous. And so the message of Scripture is not to remove anger, but to refocus anger so that it leads to a positive direction. Now I want to be very clear, there's some anger in our lives which is childish, it is petty, and it is silly. And we need to remove it, we need to repent of it. But I think there's other levels of anger that come into our life where they needs to be refocused and redirected towards the positive directions. So what we want to do is talk about what anger is and what the Bible says we need to do with our anger in order to develop stronger and healthier relationships or improve situations. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 26. If you want to turn in your Bibles or turn in your app on your phone, or if you don't have any of those this morning, we're going to have the Scriptures by way of the screen. Now, if you're in a note-writing mood, let me give you the first truth about anger, and it is this. Anger is a signal. It is a signal. Verse 26 of chapter 4, Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Paul doesn't say that sin, that anger is a sin. Paul says that when you get angry, when anger slaps you upside of the head and you are feeling it, you're in the midst of it, don't let it lead you into sin. The one way to view anger is that it's like a signal. Your, your light goes off on the dashboard of your car. 
It's a signal that there's something wrong or something needs to be corrected. You don't want to put tape over it and say, I want to ignore it. The fire alarm or the smoke alarm goes off in your house and it's making that irritating noise. The way to deal with it is not to take a hammer and to smash it, okay? The way to to deal with it is to look at, is it alerting me to something of where there's a fire or there's a problem within my house? And when the emotion of anger comes into our lives, it is a signal that there's something we need to look at. Psychologists, some psychologists have called it a secondary emotion. It's an emotion that is triggering that there is some cause or something in our hearts or something within our circumstances that just isn't right. And it motivates us to correct that. And that in and of itself is not sin. That is not bad. How many of you grew up as fans of the cartoon Popeye? Any Popeye fans? Okay. I see all of you who were born before, what, 1969, okay? So that's you. Popeye, hands down, greatest cartoon ever made, okay? I don't care if you disagree with me, it's just the truth. Popeye is, is awesome. And Popeye was the sailor man. And he has this girlfriend, what's her name? Oh, we have lots of Popeye fans here, Wow. Now, I, I have to be honest, I don't quite get olive oil, okay? I'm not for sure about the name or the character, but, but Popeye's into olive oil. That's his girlfriend. And who is Popeye's mortal enemy? Brutus. Oh, you guys are good. You ought to come up and preach this message. You're so good. And, and Brutus and Popeye always have this beef with each other. And when Brutus is messing with olive oil. And he's making her life difficult and he's causing her a threat. What is it that Popeye says? That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And what does he do? He takes that spinach and he eats it. And I mean, his forearms become as big as tree trunks and he saves the day. He opens up on Brutus and everything's okay. And I think in our lives, we need to have some Popeye moments. There's, it's okay when there's some things maybe within ourselves, maybe things within our world, maybe things within our ministry, and it drives us crazy. And we've said, like Popeye, I've had all I can stands and I can stands no more. And we seek to make a positive change. And we take the anger that we feel and we refocus it in a positive direction. Our mission as a church is to pass on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community. That's our mission. That's what Jesus has called us to do. Yesterday, I was with a guy in a nearby town, and we were talking about doing outreach, and this guy's got some connections, and he was, he was telling me in this nearby town that one out of every six families is in poverty. And you might feel hurt about that this morning. 
You might look at poverty. You might look at injustice. You might look at the pain in the world and it hurts you. And you feel a sense of anger about that. And so you want to do something about it. And so I was talking to this guy. It's about the resources we have at Crossroads and how we can make a ministry of an outpost in that area. And so we're in prayer and we're planning. And so anger can be that signal towards positive change. Let me go through three things that anger may signal within our lives. By way of your notes, first, anger can be a signal for hurt. Maybe you're hurt emotionally. You've been rejected by somebody. You've helped somebody and assisted them and they've turned their back on you. And so you're angry about that. Somebody spoke to you disrespectfully who shouldn't have and you feel a sense of anger. You're hurt for somebody you love and you care for. And because you're hurting for them, because they've been hurt, you feel this sense of anger and how they've been treated. It doesn't necessarily need to be removed, but maybe it needs to be refocused. Anger, number two, can be a signal for frustration. It can be, we all feel this, don't we? Things aren't going my way. This day isn't going like I planned, and we have one obstacle after another. My schedule is tyrannizing me. I am so busy in so many demands and appointments, and I don't have any room for margin for my own life. Sometimes you're in that checkout line, and you're waiting what it feels like forever. And then you get up to the person, the cashier, and that person says, uh, how can I help you? Can I do something to help you? And you say, no, you can't help me. I've just been standing here for the last 30 minutes because I wanted just to say hi to you. And you're frustrated at that point because you've been waiting. Your kids don't do what you tell them to do. You've worked hard on a school project and you didn't get the grade that you wanted or expected. Your co-worker doesn't pull his or her weight of the job, leaving you with more work. And that frustration builds up into an anger. Three, anger can signal fear. It can signal fear in our lives. Remember Jesus, he was out on the boat and he was sleeping The disciples were with him, and all the winds and the waves and the storm came, and the disciples felt that they were in in this mortal danger. And then Jesus woke, and they were angry with him, and they spoke in this angry voice, Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus' response to them was, not why are you angry with me, but why are you afraid? And so that fear in our lives can come out in the form of anger. We're paying our bills. We're grumpy and we're edgy because we've got this fear that maybe we won't have enough money for the future. We don't know if we can make ends meet. Our teenager comes home and with a car 15 minutes late and we ream them out because we're afraid that maybe there was an accident or maybe something bad happened. We're angry because a coach had sidelined us and for an arbitrary reason and didn't allow us to play. Maybe we feel that's going to affect our future scholarship. And on all of these, when we feel the anger, it doesn't necessarily need to be removed, but maybe it needs to be refocused. Now, Paul goes on and he talks about how we're not to deal with anger. 
Because anger often descends and leads us down a pretty destructive path. Verse 26, he says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Brenda and I have had a rule, and we've tried to practice this throughout our marriage, that if we're angry, we try not to go to sleep before we get it resolved. Now, there was one time we didn't go to sleep for two weeks, but we tried to, to live by that. And that is the principle here. Paul is basically saying that get a handle on your anger before your anger handles you. Get control of your anger before your anger controls you. Verse 27, do not give the devil a foothold. The word there for foothold in the Greek is the word topos, where we get the word topography. When anger starts to control us, when it handles us and controls us, it gives the devil, it gives demonic powers, geography in our lives, in our hearts. It gives the devil a place where he can wreak destruction within our own thinking and within our own mentalities and within our own soul. And it gives an opportunity for him to, through us, bring destruction and devastation and hurt and pain in the lives of others. Verse 31 talks about where it can go to. This type of anger that that we don't get control of can lead in verse 31. It says to bitterness, to rage, to brawling, to slander, and to every form of malice. And when that takes place, friends, when that occurs, Satan has a field day. Now, there's two ways that we typically deal with this kind of anger when it starts to get this foothold, this, this geography into our lives. And one way is we have people who are spewers, and then we have people who are stewers. A spewer is the person who, when they're angry, they very quickly express their anger. Maybe express is too soft of a term. They don't just express it. Maybe it's like a volcanic eruption within their lives. They're like a rhinoceros. The rhino gets scared or it feels like it's being attacked. It charges, leading with that powerful horn. And there are people when they get angry and they feel threatened or provoked or attacked, they're like the rhino they spew and they lead with the horn ready to attack and ready to fight back. I've sat with many people. I said, okay, you're angry. Somebody did this to you. This circumstance happened. This situation occurred. How are you going to deal with this? And they've got the attitude that I'm going to go with guns a-blazing. Something has been done wrong, and it is my job to fix it. And they're going to go on the attack. They're going to go, and they're going to be like that rhino with that horn, with that anger in the forefront. And I say to them, look, if you do this, do you realize that you're going to take a bad situation, and you're going to make it worse? 
Do you realize that if you go into that meeting or you go into that situation or you face that issue with your anger in the lead, that you are going to take a bad situation and make it worse and there will be more destruction and more carnage emotionally because of that. And these people blinded by this anger will say, maybe that's the case, but right is right and wrong is wrong and I need to settle this. And all in the background, Satan is having a heyday because this anger is not being refocused into positive or godly or God-honoring decisions where the who becomes bigger than the what, but it is focused upon our self-oriented protection. There's other people, they're not spewers, they're stewers. They're like the porcupines. The porcupine gets threatened, what does it do? Curls up into a little ball, and then the quills or the little spikes come out. And there's people when they get angry, yeah, they won't fight back, they won't attack, but what they'll do is they'll withdraw into their own corner emotionally, and then they'll get those little quills out, and they'll say, nobody is going to get close to me. And do they get over their anger? Do things get better? No. They stew and it builds and it builds and it builds and it gets worse. And sometimes maybe several weeks, several months, maybe several years, you're dealing with a problem and an explosion that occurs emotionally because people have stewed over their anger for so long and they've not refocused it in a way. It's going to bring honor to God and help to the situation. I grew up in Kentucky, and most of my growing up years were in Louisville. But for five and a half years, we lived in a town called Shepherdsville. My dad had the opportunity to get 21 acres of land in the midst of these hills. It was beautiful, this acre and a half lake with this patio. It was gorgeous property. But when we moved to Shepherdsville, it came at a little price. You see, there's rule and there's backward. Shepherdsville is backward. And that's where dad, who's a city guy, and we were a city family, he moved us to Shepherdsville, and we lived way back a holler. We lived so far back that the June bugs didn't come till August. And... Back in that holler, there was a controversy, and I lived there from the age of about 9 to 15, and I heard about it as a kid, and I saw little evidences of it, but it didn't seem like too big of a deal. But our neighbor, Walter Crowley, would grade the road with his tractor. So he'd grade the road to kind of fix it. But whenever he'd grade the road, it would spew some rocks out into people's yards. And they didn't like that, and that caused controversy. I don't know how you fix that kind of situation, but we moved on. We knew it was kind of something that caused some tension between the neighbors. And so finally we moved in 1985 back to Louisville. And I started dating Brenda. And I took her down to visit my family in, in, in Louisville. And I said, honey, I'd like to take you back to where I, I live for about five years in Shepherdsville. I'd like to take you back that holler. 
So we took a trip out there up the rolling hills, these narrow roads and all that stuff, and I was excited to show her the, the property we used to have. And as I went up that holler, guess who I saw? There's Brenda, who I'm dating, and right there as we're going up that holler, there is Mr. Crowley on his tractor with his grader. And guess who's around him? Several men with guns. I guess what? The controversy had escalated, hadn't it? Something that people stewed over for several years had progressively gotten worse and worse and worse. And I looked at Brenda and I said, uh, you're not going to see where I used to live. We're going to head back to Louisville where it's safe. And folks, that's what happens when we stew. We have these hurts We have this bitterness, we have this anger, and we think just because I run, just because I hide, just because I curl into my little ball and the little quills come out and I keep people away from me, that I've dealt with the anger. And the truth is, is that you are a problem just waiting to happen in somebody's life until you deal with that. And so folks, stewing is no better than spewing. The biblical course is to take the anger that we feel and to refocus it in God-honoring positive directions. So let's talk about how to do that. Let's move this into the encouragement phase. Let me give you some direction that Paul gives in the final verses of Ephesians 4. First thing is this, anger needs to be redirected. Anger needs to be redirected towards productive action. Verse 28, he writes, he says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Are you angry about something? Are you angry about injustice? Are you angry about greed? Are you angry about stealing? Paul says, then redirect it redirected towards a positive refocusing of the emotions of the things that you feel that lead you towards positive action. Look by way of the screen at how Jesus dealt with anger at the injustices and at the problems that were in his world. Mark chapter 3. If we could have that by way of the screen. It says, Another time he being Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger. How did Jesus look at them? He had anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand became completely restored. Jesus, my friends, didn't remove the anger, he redirected it. And there's things that we are angry about. There's things that triggered us. There's things that bring a signal in our heart that something is wrong. And so it is an opportunity towards positive change. 
Are you angry about hunger within the world? Then who are you feeding? Who are you caring for? What kind of money are you giving to to ministries like World Relief or Compassion International? Are you angry about gossip? Then how are you living a life that protects the reputations of others? How are you being a person of safety and a person of confidence with the feelings and the emotions and the secrets of other people that they give to you? Are you angry about broken families? Then how are you getting involved in showing mercy to those that are hurting? How are you sharing and displaying the love of Jesus Christ? If you're angry about apathy, then how are you becoming the change that you want others to be and to see in the world? What kind of example are you consistently living? How are you displaying leadership in a world and a situation in which there is apathy? And as you look around the world today, there's so much to drive us crazy. There is so much to be angry about. And so how are you refocusing that anger in a way that is bringing positive change and that is making a difference and advancing God's kingdom purposes? Number two, anger needs to be restrained. Anger does need to be restrained. Verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When we get to that place of anger, are we going to be destructive? Are we going to be developmental? Are we going to build up? Are we going to bear down? And whenever we express our anger, the who needs to be bigger than the what. And the anger needs to be led toward a God-honoring direction. Somebody has said that whoever flies off the handle is not going to make a good landing. And that's always the case. And maybe you're one of those people, and that's where I'm at, friends. I'm a spewer. When I get angry, when somebody provokes me when I'm triggered, I'm ready to deal with it then and there and to make the situation right. And every experience I've had with that is it doesn't typically go well. When I'm in those situations, I have learned that when the rhino in me wants to erupt and come out, that I need about two to three days just to pray, to think, to reflect, maybe talk to somebody, have somebody pray with me, spend time in the Word of God and get the Lord's perspective before I address the situation that makes me angry. And folks, maybe there's something I need to follow up on, but after I've taken two to three days to pray, to process, to reflect, maybe even longer, my perspective then is a lot better than it was at the moment that I was triggered with the anger. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 17. Solomon says this, People with a hot temper do foolish things. Wiser people remain calm. Calmness is a choice sometimes, isn't it? Proverbs 29, 22, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not the spewer. Maybe you're the stewer. Maybe you're the porcupine. 
Maybe you're just kind of wanting to, to cuddle into yourself and get away from everybody. Psalms 147.3 says this, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And in the midst of your pain, your hurt, the rejection you feel, whatever that situation is that's made you angry, you need to go before God and say, God, help me to resolve this. Help me to forgive. Help me to be courageous to confront the things that I need to confront rather than running away. I have heard so many people over the last couple of months saying things like this, I was angry, but I went before the Lord and I prayed about it. I spent time in his word. I talked with a godly brother or sister and they helped me to put it in perspective. And because of that, I'm I'm finding the peace and the direction of God so that I can deal with this problem, with this issue, with this relationship in a productive way. Thirdly, and most importantly, Anger needs to be resolved. Anger needs to be resolved. Anger is not an emotion that we are meant to live with. It is a signal that is to lead us towards positive action. But when it leads us to that action, it is to be done. And if your disposition is that I'm an angry person, then you are a person that needs repentance and healing and grace in your life that only comes from Christ. Verse 30, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's our greatest ally against anger becoming deadly. It is the Holy Spirit. I have said this through this series that the perfect model of relationships is the Trinity. It is God the Father who loves God the Son. And they love each other with the perfect love. And they love through the self-giving dynamic and the selflessness of the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons in one unified family who is the one Godhead. And they are the model for which the church, for which our relationships are to reflect and to be. And the good news is is that when, when you and I come to faith in Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit. And he connects us to the Trinity, the family of God. And as the Father and the Son are loving each other, and they're pouring that love into us through the Holy Spirit, leading us how to live healthy relationships here on the earth. It is the Holy Spirit who dwells with us, as Paul says, till the very end of our redemption. He is with us wherever we go. He leads us. He instructs us. He encourages us. He teaches us. He corrects us. He rebukes us. He is the one who guides us. He knows our thoughts. He knows the issues that have triggered our emotions. And he is the one who will help us to overcome our anger. And I know people, believers who are dealing with anger, and they are so miserable because the Holy Spirit is putting a full court press on their hearts. And he is saying that until you resolve this, I will make your conscience miserable the most people most miserable people in the world are not Christ, are not are not sinners living in sin but it is christians living in rebellion 
because the Holy Spirit works to help us to overcome the work of the enemy within our lives. Let me read to you what somebody wrote, and I've had this for several years, and I I read this as the occasion calls for it. So what he said, my dealing with anger before Christ came into my life was not a great experience. When an angry situation developed and a course of action had to be decided upon, I would call together the governing committee that had always been my advisors. And together we formulated what my response would be to the problem at hand. Down through the years, I had become totally dependent upon them and was compliant and obedient to their decisions. At our meetings, even though I sat at the head of the table, I felt I really didn't have any power to say in the matters that were voted on. Once the meeting started, they took over and I became a spectator. To my immediate right sat a motion. And oh, what an excitable board member he was. Once the meeting started, a motion couldn't sit still for one minute. You never know what he was going to react to at the business at hand. And next to a motion set memory. He had a bad habit of always bringing up the past and trying to associate it with the current problem at hand. And memory was good at bringing past calamities to our attention. Memory's favorite saying was, don't you remember? And next to memory said imagination and what, was fa- and, and what a fascinating member he was. Nobody could paint a scenario like he could. What wild ideas he presented at every meeting. He never really dealt with the facts at hand, but mostly in what might happen. And his might happen descriptions really affected emotion. And memory brought pictures of past calamities to our attention, but imagination painted pictures of possible calamities in the future. Memory and imagination seemed good friends and had a lot in common. And next to imagination sat reason. He seemed to be a real loner in the group and always hung out by himself. He was always analyzing, weighing things, considering the pros and cons of every decision. And although he seemed to contribute input into the meeting, he never really came up with a solution to the problem that was acceptable to emotion, memory, or imagination. And when they met, pandemonium reigned, and the decision was always, do something to make a point. Get even. React. React. Before Christ came into my life, this is how I reacted. But now that I'm a follower of Christ, I respond differently. As a believer, I have added a new member to the advisory board to respond differently to anger. As a believer, I have added the new member to the advisory board that governs my decision, and that member is the Holy Spirit. And he has shown me that God's desire is not that I should be a reactor to anger, but that I should be an acting person who can control my actions and initiate the proper response in every angry situation. So before I respond in any manner, I introduce the Holy Spirit to the board session. And what a difference his present makes when those crises of anger pop up. And when he is asked to address the problems Here's what I've noticed, and let's show this by way of the screen. Emotion no longer gets excited. Memory doesn't call up the past. 
Imagination doesn't paint calamity scenes about the future. Reason now sighs with relief, saying, at last something sensible is going to be done. As a believer, I am learning that as I heed God's words, his word of instruction, and the Holy Spirit's guidance, I am gaining control of anger, and it no longer controls me. I am no longer afraid of anger in my response to it. Like Christ, I choose to do what is right to do, regardless of my feelings and emotions urge me to do, and regardless of what others push me to do. I am learning in my anger not to sin.